save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. As always, thank you so very much for taking the time to listen. I do appreciate you. Feel free to reach out anytime, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com, and uh, we will try to get back to you as soon as possible on any questions or issues you have, or if you just have an idea for uh, some upcoming content. Like I've mentioned before, I mean, about 90% of everything that we put out here it comes from your questions and challenges you folks are having. So please keep the questions and thoughts and ideas coming, and uh, we'll try to get something out as quickly as we can. So today we're going to do episode 31, What Happened to My Queen? This is a very, very common problem. I remember it when I first started keeping bees, and I remember how poorly I managed it and why I continued having failures in this space. So we're going to talk about that today. And Hopefully, it'll help set your mind at ease a little bit and help you better understand what's going on and help you avoid some of the, some of the common, common things that we tend to do when we, uh, when we see this. One thing I want to mention is I think it's kind of important to look at at the very beginning. So what causes uh, a queen to lay eggs? And I bring this up because one thing that tends to happen is once the flow is over, the queen is not going to lay eggs anymore. Now think about this very logically. You have a flow, so you've got carbohydrates, and you've got the protein coming in from the pollen. These are the things that are needed to feed you know, young larvae, to feed you know, newborn, newly born nurse bees. You have to have these things. And when they're not coming in from the environment, this is you know, the, the nature's way of telling the honeybees, I got nothing for you. So they know, okay, well, there's no sense in laying eggs and trying to raise new brood and create new honeybees if we can't feed those mouths, right? So the bees are definitely smart enough to know, you know, not to have more kids if they can't feed them. So unfortunately, what ends up happening when this, the flow stops is people start to get nervous. They do an inspection. They're all excited to go and see what's going on, and they see capped brood, no eggs, no larvae. And they're like, oh, crap, something happened to my queen. So they look all through the colony. They package everything back up, and they start getting nervous. They start thinking, okay, what do I need to do? What's going on? Uh, I know, I know. I'll pull a frame from another colony that has some young eggs in there and some young larvae. I'll put that in this colony, 
and, and that'll save them. And then they drop that frame in there and they wait a week and they come back and all they have is cat brood, no new eggs, no queen cells. And they're just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And they get really, really nervous. This is a perfectly normal thing, right? It's normal if you have a dearth, if there is a break in the nectar flow where you live. And I, and this this absolutely varies. So for example, where I am in Southeast Virginia, we have, a, you know, a, usually about a month and a half or two of a dearth where there's just really nothing in bloom. There's just, there's no good forage, and the bees have to survive off of everything they foraged already in the spring and any supplemental feeding that you might do. There are places I know further up north where their bees don't even really get active until May and June, and then they just have, you know, two or three months of a big nectar flow, and then that's all they get. It's snowing again in, you know, September, October, and they hopefully have 80 or 100 pounds of honey to carry them over till next April or May when they first start coming out of the, of the colony after the winter. So it's very location dependent. But if you are in an area like I am, it's, it's you know, very common to have that period where there's no eggs. And you just need to really, really search for that queen. Now, it is tough. As a new beekeeper, it's tough. And I've said this before, you know, go online, look at pictures, do inspections with friends or do inspections at your bee club. Look at, just physically look at queen honeybees as much as you can so that you can learn, you know, what they look like. But they are very elusive. If it's past the, your, your nectar flow and you're thinking, well, geez, I don't see a lot of bees coming back with any pollen. You see a lot of bees just literally just hanging out. Like they'll be hanging out out just outside the hive and they're not, you don't see a lot coming in and out. They just need to be hanging out there. That's probably what's going on. Now, if you get really nervous and you got to have an answer, one thing you can do is you can actually use a shaker box. And what a shaker box is, is you take a deep hive body on the bottom of it, staple glue, whatever you got to do, a queen excluder to it. And then you set that on top of your colony. So you basically are going to remove everything out of your colony. So let's say, for example, you had two deeps, 20 frames, and a honey super on top of that, and you had a queen excluder in between them. Well, you know that the queen's not going to be over there. So you can set that aside. Take your other two deeps off and just set them off to the side. Put a new deep down, okay? And then you're going to take this shaker box and you're going to shake the bees into the top section, they will go through the queen excluder and go down back into the hive. And then you can put that frame, you know, back in the hive. Or you can put the frame off to the side if you want to and put everything back together later. Just try to keep it in the same order so they don't have to reorganize everything. But essentially what you're doing with this shaker box is it's going to allow all the workers to go through and then you'll only have drones and, and a queen. Hopefully you'll only have one queen. But this will allow you to track down that queen. But one thing you could do is if you know, again, that you know, you're in a period of a dearth and you can't see this queen and you're really nervous about it, you could go ahead and supplemental feed them. You know, bring in a, you know, some sugar syrup, maybe even a pollen patty or some, uh, some pollen substitute. And the mix of those together, the pollen substitute with the sugar syrup, they should then, you know, reestablish that, that instinct to, to lay eggs and to raise brood. 
And that should give you an indicator like, okay, the queen is in fact still here. In general, that queen should not just leave. Like a queen doesn't get bored and just walk out the door. But let's talk about a few scenarios where the queen might actually go away. So there is supersedure. Now, typically supersedure is not something that would happen unless that was an aging queen. The queen only has a certain number of eggs that she can lay in her life. As she gets older, the number that she lays at, you know, in a season will diminish. You know, they say that the year after a queen is born is her most productive year. And you should get you know, roughly about three years out of them. Some, you know, some folks requeen every two. Some folks requeen every three. You know, some people just let them make a supersedure cell and do it themselves, which I, I, kind of, I would rather control that myself, but that's just me. But in general... Supersedures should not be starting. You know, you're a new beekeeper, first year, maybe it's your second year. Supersedures shouldn't be an issue. Now, it's not that something can't go wrong, right? I mean, if they detect for whatever reason that she's not healthy, right? I mean, she may be sick. There might be something wrong with her. So there could be a supersedure, but you would first see a supersedure cell. There would be something that would be done with um existing eggs and larvae that have been laid that have now been made into a supersedure cell before they would kind of eliminate her. Now, again, it is possible she could get some kind of sickness, illness, and just die, but it's, it's more rare. There is uh, the next scenario, which is highly, highly likely and, and very probable. If you're looking through the, high, uh, through the colony and um, you don't see your queen, one thing I would highly, highly encourage you to do is do a very, very detailed inspection of particularly like that bottom third, bottom half of the frames and really, really look closely for queen cells. Some people are really great about every Saturday I do an inspection, every Sunday I do an inspection, every 10 days, every 12 days, whatever your schedule is. Take notes, take very detailed notes of what you're doing, what you see, and, you know, as you get 20 or 30 hives, you know, you may not make as detailed a notes. But when you're new, being able to refer back to the frame level, right, and figure out a system that works for you. But I, I do left to right. So if you go in there and frame one is on the left, frame 10 is on the right. So maybe make a note that says, hey, three queen cells on the left side of frame three. So you know exactly where some of these things are so you can go right back to them. But looking for evidence of a hatched queen cell is really, really important. It is entirely possible that you got busy with work, you got busy with something else you had going on, and the colony may have swarmed. And so your queen is gone. So she packed up, she left with half the colony, they're out you know, exploring the world, doing their own thing now. Your virgin queen has been born, she's gone through the colony, looked for other queens, didn't see anybody, and she's off on her mating flight. So that's why you're not able to find your queen. So look, you know, look through the colony, look for those hatched swarm cells. If you find one, that's probably going to be your answer. Relax, don't worry too much. You know, it could take her up to a week to go out and do her thing and come back. Now, let's say you do your inspection the next day and uh, I'm sorry, like uh, the next week you come back and you do an inspection again. She should be back. You know, if I went into a colony and I knew they had swarmed, honestly, I would probably give them two weeks. Give her a week to go out and do her thing and then give maybe 10 days. But give her another 10, you know, three or four days, maybe a full week. So you, now you're at two full weeks. That gives her time to go out, get mated, come back, start laying eggs. You look in the colony, you should now see eggs and larvae. 
And if that happens, great, everything's fine. If you look in there again and you don't see anything, then it is entirely possible that that queen did not make it back from that mating flight. I don't know what the official numbers are, if anybody actually keeps track of these. I think it, it highly you know, is variable depending on where you live. Uh, I know like for me, when I first started keeping bees at my house, I didn't have a lot of dragonflies. When I took my bees away, the last year I had them here, I had dragonflies everywhere. You know, when you look at like dragonflies, spiders, birds, all of these things are going after your bees. And I would guess probably around 20 or 25% maybe of my queens didn't make it back. So if that happens to you, that's where I talk a lot about the idea of having multiple hives. So let's say you had two or three and that virgin queen did not make it back. You can go grab a frame from one of your other colonies Make sure that frame has, you know, eggs or very young larvae, and you can drop that frame in and they can make an emergency cell from that. But keep in mind, you do want to make sure that they have resources, that you, you, you need to have nurse bees. So ideally, if you bring that frame over, it'd be nice to have some nurse bees on it if possible. But, um, you know, you want to make sure that you still have, you know, food for them. If they don't have resources in that colony, then they will have nothing to feed this new queen. Right. So again, it's, it gets a little bit tricky in a period of a dearth. And unfortunately where I am swarming tends to happen like two weeks, three weeks before the dearth. So you get this new queen that goes out, you know, they swarm new queen goes out, she gets mated, comes back, starts laying eggs, and then the nectar flow goes away. So it's really, really tough for these, these new, new colonies to survive, which again is another reason why I will tend to you know feed colonies that are smaller, weaker, have swarmed or whatever. Uh, if you look in a colony and you don't see any stored resources, you know, you, you pretty much got to do something if you are going into a dearth. I have had so many colonies starved to death. When I was a new beekeeper, I just, I didn't know any better. You know, I just thought, well, they're bees, they're going to figure it out. And they didn't figure it out. So that can be another scenario where you have, you know, a, a queen that, you know, during a swarm that did not return. Hey, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. Okay, so last I have on my list is, is more of a joke, but I guess it could kind of be a serious thing if you wanted it to be, but murder hornets, right? So there are, um, there, of course, there were the stories a couple of years ago about the murder hornets that showed up in uh, Washington State, 
Now, if you've seen, you know, these in, uh, I think it's in, in Japan and other parts of Asia, I mean, they're no joke, but I don't think that it's a big of an issue, you know, here in the U.S., but they don't go in and they don't target the queen, right? They're going in there and destroying everything, killing all the workers, killing all the drones. But whoever's in the hive, they're getting destroyed so that they can get that brood and, and use that to feed their own young. So that's not really a, you know, a pest or something that targets a queen specifically is far less likely. Now, I did hear, though, and I think it was like a, I think it was maybe tied to like the, an Africanized uh, colony where they had some very, very aggressive bees that would, you know, fly, essentially be a swarm with their queen. And what they would do is um, they would target a colony. They would find a regular honeybee colony and they would attack the colony and they would just beeline right for the queen. And they would all rush the door, get in as quick as they could, find the queen, kill her, and then bring their queen in to take over. And then the other bees were like, oh, this must be our queen. And then everything just resumes as normal like it was before. Now, I don't have a lot of details on this. It's something that I, I heard a story about a, a while ago, and I think I, I can't remember if I saw it, heard it, read it. But that's you know one thing that, that obviously could happen, but I don't think that that's really a normal day-to-day kind of scenario for most folks. It was just something that I kind of thought of. You know, like I said before, it's, it's not uncommon at all for a new beekeeper to have trouble finding their queen. And that's why we say, hey, look for eggs and larvae. It's not uncommon for there to be no eggs and larvae if there's a dearth. So if you want to try and kind of stimulate them, you know, stimulate her to lay, try some feeding, you know, get some, get some, create that pollen and that uh, nectar synthetically, you know, via, you know, pollen patties, sugar syrup, pollen substitute, you know, whatever you have to do. You just need to see some kind of evidence that she is in fact there. And if you, you know, I harp on this a lot and I've said it a million times, but if you have somebody in your B club, you know, if you're not a B club member, join one, but if you have a mentor or somebody you can work with, just have them come over and take a look and uh, see if they can help you find that queen and track her down. Now, as an alternative, if you've exhausted all means, right, you've, you've looked in the colony, you don't see the queen, you've tried a shaker box and, and you're not shaking anything through other than drones. And, you know, you've tried dropping a frame in from another colony if you have one. You've gone through everything you possibly can. You've got a great, you know, population of honeybees and they, everything looks good. They just don't have what appears to be a laying queen. You can always order. Uh, you can mail order. I know in the U.S. we can mail order them. I don't know what the laws are going to be in, in your country depending on where you are. We can mail order queens here. And usually they'll send them, you know, like second day overnight air. Uh, I've had them sent by UP or uh, U.S. Postal Service ground before, which, I mean, I guess I have the time. I can tell you the story. Uh, I ordered some from a very reputable supplier in Virginia. It was, you know, if I were driving, it would be about a three-and-a-half, four-hour drive away. They did second-day U.S. Postal Service. They were delivered on a day where it was about 95 degrees outside, and uh, the box said all over it, Live honeybees, live honeybees, you know, do not leave in mailbox. Like it was posted all over it. So I was hanging out at my house and I'm checking the tracking information. It says out for delivery. So I'm in the house kind of waiting. And at some point in time, the postal carrier showed up, stuck it in my mailbox, drove away. And I guess the tracking information didn't update until they got back to the office at the end of the day. And I went out to the mailbox, opened the mailbox up and there's my 
dead queen bees. I think I had two or three of them in there and they were dead. So definitely stay on top of that if you're having some ordered in, but that's definitely an option, right? You can just have, you know, have them shipped to you. Or if you are close to a local apiary, you, know, you can maybe go and uh, buy one from them and just take it home. Or again, maybe somebody in the bee club or someone else, you know, may have a colony or a frame or something you can do. I mean, I've done that with a neighbor of mine before when he was beekeeping for a couple of years. He said, Jesus, you know, I can't find my queen. And this is the same. This is before I had even known. I think I was in my second or third year of beekeeping. And he's like, yeah, I lost my queen. And I was like, oh, man, well, you want one of my frames? I think I had like five or six hives at the time. And I gave him a frame. Nothing happened. You know, took the frame over there and they didn't they didn't care for or try to raise a queen because they're not going to raise brood and care for, you know, they're not going to raise new anything if they don't have the resources. And they never made the queen, they never, well, they didn't make a queen cell because they had a queen, right? They already had a queen in there somewhere, so they're not going to make a new queen cell, but they're not trying to raise anything new or care for anything new that they don't have food for. So um, I think they ended up starving because, again, we didn't know any better. We were just trying to figure it all out. Anyway, there are a lot of different things that can happen, but there's an old uh, thing I read in a book. I think it was by Brother Adam, maybe, one of the old, like, Buckfast Abbey, um, you know, original beekeeper guys from years ago. I'm trying to look around to see. I have that book. Okay, I've got it right here. So it's Beekeeping at Buckfast Abbey is the name of the book by Brother Adam. Uh, It says here, Brother Adam was undeniably one of the world's leading authorities on the races and strains of honeybees. His worldwide travel in search of bees and his beekeeping at Buckfast Abbey have inspired vast admiration. In this work, we learn the philosophy, the science, and the practice of his life's work, honey production and bee breeding. Uh, This is a good book. And I would definitely recommend it. It's very thin. It's only, it's about 120 pages. It's a pretty easy read. But I think in, in his book, he mentioned most problems within a colony can be solved by either taking something away or adding something to the colony. So kind of keep that in mind as you go through your, your beekeeping journey. And, um, you know, hopefully this helps a little bit. I kind of, honestly, I didn't take a whole lot of notes on this one. Usually what happens when I don't take a lot of notes is I'll end the podcast and then I spend the, the whole rest of the day thinking of the 15 things that I should have said and I didn't. So if I miss something or if you say, hey, Jeff, you know, you're, you're kind of close, but I had this other problem along those lines and I still don't know what's up with my queen, you know, drop me an email, jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com and hopefully this will help you out if you can't find your queen for some reason and uh, you're having some trouble tracking down the elusive young lady. Outside of that, folks, I'm going to wrap things up. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.